Amen. Yes, again, can we give the Lord another round of applause this morning? Well, good morning. morning. Definitely want to take this opportunity to welcome you. Pray that you uh, had a wonderful Thanksgiving this past week with your family. I know we've got uh, many who are traveling, those who are leaving the area who maybe came in to visit. And I know we've got some of our own who are traveling back today as well. But we do pray that you had uh, a blessed time with your family. I want to begin this morning just really, you know, as you know, this past week, um, this past Tuesday, the week of Thanksgiving, what a a senseless tragedy that our community experienced just right up the road from us here. Um, And, you know, anytime these things happen, I, 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 like you, have a hard time wrapping my mind around, you know, all that, you know, led to or, or all that played into and you know, I have to, you know, really pause in those moments again and, and, and hang my hat upon the sovereignty of God, the providence of God, that what the enemy intends for evil, God can still use for good. And I don't know how all that plays out, obviously, but I think what we can do in a time like this is really just go to the Lord in prayer as a body of believers to pray for those who have been directly impacted, to pray for our community, to pray for us as a church as we seek to minister uh, to those who are hurting, those who are seeking hope. And, and we believe that we have the answer, that the word of God has the answer, that hope is found in Christ alone. And that is what we believe. And so we wanna pray that, that through these awful tragedies that Christ uh, can be seen, that Christ uh, can be heard, that Christ can be felt. And so I'm just gonna ask you if you would join with me as we go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you as, Lord, as a body of believers this morning. and. Uh, Lord, your word tells us that sometimes we don't even really know what to pray for, but that your spirit intervenes for us. And so, Lord, this morning we pray for a hurting community. Lord, we pray for uh, so many families that their Thanksgiving week was changed in an instant. And we know that it will uh, continue for days and months and and, and years, Lord, that, that there's healing involved. But, Lord, we know that those are things only you can do. And so, Lord, we pray for those directly impacted. We pray for families this morning. Lord, we pray for our community this morning that's trying to make sense of, of something just so senseless. But Lord, we trust that even in the midst of all of this, Lord, as we see it and believe it in our own individual lives, we believe in the world that, Lord, in the midst of even the chaos, that, Lord, you are a God that is still in control. You are a God that is sitting upon his throne. You are a God that is sovereign over all things. And so, Lord, we know our ways are not your ways. That our thoughts are not your thoughts. And so, Lord, we pray for comfort and peace and strength in a way that only you can give. And we pray for lives to be pointed to you. We pray that, Lord, that through this tragedy, that there will be those that will turn to you through this. And that we will be a church and a body of people that will be quick to point people to you. Lord, we thank you for hope that is in Jesus. And we thank you for the promises that cannot fail. May the name of Christ be lifted high. We pray this morning. It's in his name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you so much. Uh, Again, you know, as a church, we always just want to pray for wisdom and discernment as we're seeking to to minister and come beside. And and so just ask you to continue to be praying. I want to thank you for so many of you that came out last Sunday night to our Thanksgiving service. What a beautiful service. Our team did a tremendous job. We had over 30 get baptized uh, last Thursday night, 10 uh, that didn't show up planning to get baptized, which was pretty cool. And so God did some really neat things last uh, Sunday night. And I pray that it prepared your hearts as you made your way into the week of Thanksgiving. 
couple of announcements today. Uh, two more weeks of Angel Tree. Many of you know that this is a ministry that we have uh, really seen the Lord use over the years. And so in the lobby, you'll find a Christmas tree with uh, tags attached to it with certain gifts. Uh, some of these gifts go to families within the church or even those with, you know, outside of the church that we can be a blessing uh, to families this Christmas season uh, as we show the love of Christ. And so you got two weeks. And so you can grab your tag today that will be due uh, second Sunday of December. Take your Bibles with me this morning and turn with me to the book of Psalms, Psalm 103 this morning. A little bit of an update of the schedule. So next week we'll dive into our Christmas series. So I'm excited. As you can see, our team did a tremendous job this week uh, decorating the church next Sunday. Uh, we'll jump into a three-week series. As we look at Matthew 1, there, there are three different titles given to Jesus in Matthew 1, Son of David, Son of Man, Son of God. And all three are critical. All three are critical to accomplish what we celebrate at Christmas. And so each week we're gonna take one of those titles. We're gonna take next week, Son of David, then the next week, Son of Man, and then the third week, Son of God. And leading up into the weekends, we're asking you to join with us on a reading plan. And so beginning tomorrow, there will be a daily reading plan as we begin as the Advent season. You know, Advent means coming uh, in the Latin. And, and what it is is basically remembrance and anticipation. The Advent season is that we remember, we reflect upon the first coming of Christ, but we anticipate the second coming of Christ. If you believe that, say amen, amen. And so it's kind of two part as we go into the four Sundays leading into Christmas. And then Christmas Eve, a little bit different. We've backed the time up a little bit. And so we'll do three services Christmas Eve, that's a Saturday. And so we'll do one, two, 30 and four on that Christmas Eve. And then the next morning, Christmas morning, we will do all live stream. So we won't have any worship services on the campus that Sunday morning, uh, that Christmas Eve service really the night before will be our celebration. Take your Bibles if you would, Psalm 103. And I'm gonna invite you to stand with me in reverence of reading God's word. I wanna do something this week. This is a Psalm of Thanksgiving. Now, a lot of times this is one of those chapters of scripture that, you know, pastors will preach on the week leading into Thanksgiving. But I felt like this was something I know for me that's allowed me even, you know, this week as we prepare for these next four weeks of Christmas to kind of just make sure I realign my mind, my thoughts, my heart to really what it is that we celebrate at Christmas. And so it is a Psalm of Thanksgiving, but what you find here is that this pertains to every day of the year. That really as believers, if you know Christ is your Lord and Savior, Thanksgiving shouldn't be something we just talk about one day a year. The Bible calls us every day to a place of Thanksgiving. And I want you to see in this place, one of the things that we've seen through the series of, if you've been with us, as we've looked at faith in the Old Testament, you see some common denominators. I'm just gonna have y'all stand the whole time while I preach. Y'all cool with that? I like you better stand. I'm gonna have you sit in a second. The common denominator is, yeah, faith, right, right, right. For by grace we are saved through faith. We know we can't know God apart from faith. We can't grow and glorify him apart from, from faith. And so the common theme run through all the stories is yes, their faith to a faithful God, but what you see is this. You see in all of those stories, a yielding to the work that God is doing and a praising even when it's not understood what God is doing. And what I want you to see in this one chapter of scripture, David, David writes 22 verses and he explains to us why every single day should be a day of thanksgiving. Let's look at verse one and then we'll work through these 22 verses, a very famous Psalm. It says this, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is, say it with me, within me, bless his holy name. Join with me as a good Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for who you are. 
Lord, we thank you that you are a God that never changes, that you are the same today as you were yesterday as you will be tomorrow. Lord, we thank you that you are a faithful God, that in spite of us, Lord, your grace, your mercy, your long suffering towards us abounds. And Lord, as we move into this season, we see grace. As we move into this season, we see a person, we see your son, Jesus Christ, as we reflect back to what he's done. But again, as we anticipate the promises yet to be fulfilled. And so Lord, may you find us praising you, Lord, not just in a holiday that we celebrate in November, may you find us praising you every day, just as we've seen in the stories that we've studied, Lord, regardless of our circumstances, may you find us praising you for who you are, for what you've done, for the victory that has been won through our Savior, Jesus Christ. We are not fighting for it today. We have been called to walk in it today. We celebrate the finished work this morning of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. And so praise is something that I know has just been stirring in me through, through this series of seeing in every one of these stories of Old Testament, men and women, just like you and I, right, right, men and women who are going through some dark stuff, men and women who are going through some tragedies, some, 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 some circumstances that are beyond what they could have prepared themselves for, and yet in the midst of it, you come to a conflict of faith. Right? Do, I, do I just give in to what I feel, my emotions, my feelings, or, or, or no, do, do, am I strategic? Am I initializing praise to the Lord even in that place? And I want you to see these words written by David. Now, many believe, we don't know the details of when he wrote these words. Many would say that this is at the end of his life. And I would say, I agree with that because when you really see his reflection upon grace and mercy, we're talking about who? King David, the greatest king ever to live. However, we know that he was a man after God's own heart, but yet we know he was guilty of murder. We know that he was guilty of adultery. We know that this was someone who had fully experienced the grace and the mercy of a righteous God. And let's just be real, right? When, when you come in and you experience the gospel, right? When you fully experience and you see the righteousness of God, the holiness of God and the wretchedness of yourself and yet the grace and the mercy that has still been displayed in spite of us through Jesus, how could you not be captivated? Can I get an amen? And that's what you see here. You see a man who comes to understanding of who he is of his weaknesses, his mistakes. And yet in spite of that, he is praising God. And I believe again, this sets the tone that this is not the thermometer of our lives, right? That, that, that regulates where are, that registers where we are. This is the thermostat. This is the thermostat that regulates. This is where our joy and our peace, I believe ties into. Yes, our obedience, yes, our surrender. We see that in these stories, but our praise to be able to wake up each morning and say, you know, I don't know what today will bring, but I can praise you God for these things that my day cannot touch. And so every day in the life of the believer can be a day of Thanksgiving. I want you to see what he praises God for. And I pray that you will use this as you move into the Advent season. I pray that this will become part of your reading. What I'm going to, to do in my reading is read this first before I read some of the passages as we deal with son of David, son of man, son of God, because this puts it in perspective, a thousand years before the birth of our Lord and Savior. Look at what he says here in verse one of Psalm 103. You're gonna see this repeated phrase, right? There's not a word of complaint. There's no selfishness expressed two times in the first two verses and four times in the last four verses. You find what he says there in verse one. Bless the Lord, bless Yahweh, oh my soul. 
couple things stand out to me right away, right? First of all, we gotta understand the word bless. It doesn't mean like a rich person blesses a poor person, right? It's not us blessing God, right? That's not what it's saying there. It's saying us being a blessing to God by the way we praise God, by the way we glorify God. But then it says this, it says what? Bless the Lord. And then he says this, oh, my soul. It's almost as if he's telling himself, oh, soul, you're gonna praise God today. Because let's be real, it doesn't happen naturally. Maybe, maybe you're more spiritual than I am. I don't wake up in my spirit in the morning, just automatically, I'm gonna wake up and just praise God for who he is and what he's done. The battle of the mind is quick. And the battle of the mind, right? The renewing of the mind that Paul speaks of, well, the, the mind is quick to run. And I don't know about you, but as a follower of Christ, who, who's given my, my life to the Lord and who seeks to glorify him, my mind is quick to be distracted. And how easy it is to wake up in my day, my calendar, my agenda, my struggles, my fear, my doubt, it all kicks in. And it's almost as if David is taking a step back and going, "Uh uh-uh, before feelings, before emotions, before breakfast, not before the bathroom, but before breakfast, oh soul, we gonna praise God. We gonna praise God. We're gonna be intentional about this thing because it doesn't just happen naturally. The natural thing is the flesh. And the flesh goes naturally very quickly. So this is swimming upstream of pausing, Lord, thank you for waking me up today. And Lord, I pray that if you come today, you find me praising you regardless of what I'm going through. Bless the Lord, he says, oh, my soul. Look at what he says next. And all that is within me. Now this speaks beyond just superficial worship, right? We, we talk about praise and worship and sometimes we buy into this, well, that's 30 minutes on a Sunday, uh-uh. Listen, if we've not praised and worshiped the Lord throughout the week, we're not prepared to worship the Lord on a Sunday morning. Our lives are to be worshiped. Our lives are to be a, a, an incense of praise to the nostrils of God, right? So that when we come together corporately, we, that's the overflow of a life that has been lived in worship and praise throughout the week. And so it's almost as if they is saying, hey, all my heart, all my soul, all my body, everything within me. I'm not just gonna emotionally praise you, God. I'm gonna praise you with all my soul. I love this. Look at the next part. All that is within me, hear this. Bless his holy name. There's a beautiful activity here. The phrase holy name in the Hebrew language, it encompasses all of God. So what is he saying here? He's saying, I'm gonna praise you today for who you are, all the attributes of who you are. And you wanna talk about a great exercise, a great, maybe you're looking for something to do each day in your devotions, especially even as you're preparing for Christmas. And so go through and start naming some of the names of God. You know, God, I'm gonna praise you that you are God, my provider, God, my redeemer, you know, God, my strength, God, my hope, and just start praising him for who he is. He says, bless the Lord, oh my soul, bless his holy name. I'm gonna pray you because you are all powerful, all knowing, you are always with me. You have promised to never leave me, nor forsake me. You are good, you are just, you are merciful, you are gracious. And so soul today, before we do anything else, we're gonna praise his name. I mean, isn't this the Lord's prayer, right? I mean, you think about it. I mean, of all the things the disciples could have asked Jesus to teach them, they saw him preach. They saw him heal. They saw him feed thousands, miracles. You don't find them saying, hey, teach us to do miracles. Hey, teach us to feed thousands of people. Uh, What do they say? Teach us to pray. The thing that stood out the most about Jesus, think about that. Of all the stories you read about Jesus, the thing that stood out most to them that caused them to ask him about it was his prayer life. And you know what he says, right? Our father in heaven, what does it say? Praise. And we've talked about this before. 
that before you even get to give me my daily needs or our daily bread, before you even get to the daily bread, it is praise and the will of God. So I praise you for who you are. I ask you to align me to your will. Bless his holy name. All right, now we're gonna start getting into it. Now, I, Y'all ready for me this morning? Y'all ready for me this morning? Here we go. Let's, let's look. We're gonna do some praising in here. We're gonna praise him for who he is, for what he's done. The first place he begins, this is a man who had tasted the grace of God, the mercy of God. This was a man described after God's own heart and yet gave in to murder and adultery, suffered the consequences of sin, but he tasted the forgiveness and the mercy of his God. He says this in verse two, bless the Lord, O my soul. He repeats the phrase, and forget not all his benefits. I love this. It's like, all right, I wake up in the morning. All right, soul, we're going to praise. We're going to praise him for who he is. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to forget not. You know why he says that? Because we all have a tendency to forget. That's why you find in God's word where God says, hey, go build an altar, right? Go, go drive a stake in it. Make this something you can come back to, right? The Passover meal, we talked about that when Jesus was gathering with his disciples. What was that? It was something to remember. It was something to go back and see God's provision, the way that he delivered his people, physically speaking, from bondage. But as we talked about last week there in the upper room, Christ transitioned that meal from the Passover meal to what we celebrate today, the Lord's table. As now it's not the blood of the lamb, a physical animal lamb that covered the doorpost, but now those who fall under the lamb of God, Jesus is covered by the blood of Jesus. Therefore we praise him first and foremost, because why our iniquities have been healed. It's the first place he begins before the physical body, before diseases, before comfort, before meeting my needs. The first thing he says is God, I praise you because you've dealt with my greatest problem, my sins. And so regardless of what happens today, I know I stand before you clean, righteous, as the Bible says, blameless, holy, without blemish, not because of Heath, but because of the blood of Jesus. Can I get an amen? There's praise in that. There's praise in that. I praise you for who you are and let me go right to what you've done. In the first place I gotta begin is what you've done to cover my sins, what you've done to give me hope for eternity. The reminding ministry of the Holy Spirit. I think you see it as you go through the New Testament, you see this where the Holy Spirit, and I don't know about you, you've been there, where you've been in a place and the Holy Spirit will bring something to your memory. You know what I'm talking about? Like the reminding ministry. He can't remind us of something we've never put in. And so that's why God's word is so important that we're feeding upon God's word because at just the right time, and I know you've been there, the Holy Spirit will bring it to the surface. And you'll think to yourself, man, I've not thought about that verse. I've not looked at that verse. But in this moment, I am being ministered to by that verse. It's a reminding ministry of, of, of the Lord to forget not. We got to remember what God has done. And we got to be intentional to remind ourselves what God has done. It reminds me of a story. It's like the husband and the wife, they were forgetting things. And so the doctor said, well, just write things down. That's going to help you guys. And so they go home and the wife yells to the husband. And he's like, uh, she's like, I'd like a bowl of ice cream. He's like, oh, I can get that for you. She's like, well, you might want to write that down. He's like, I think I can remember a bowl of ice cream. So about 30 seconds later, she says, a with whipped cream. He's like, okay, I remember. She's like, you might wanna write that down, ice cream. No, I can remember. With a cherry on top. I can remember that. About 20 minutes goes by. He comes to his wife with a servant's heart, with a plate of eggs and bacon, and he sets it right in front of her. She said, what is this? She said, I told you to write things down. He said, why? She said, where's my toast? <laughs> Get it? She forgot too. 
It's like the guy who said, right, my wife, she's all negative. I, I remember the car seat. I remember the stroller and the diaper. I forgot the baby, but I remembered all of those things. I set my Bible on my car this morning. 20 years ago, my dad bought me a preaching Bible. You're gonna notice if you pay attention to details, it's not my preaching Bible up here. And at 5.45 this morning, I sat on the top of my car with my sermon inside of it and drove here. And it hit me about 10 minutes before the service at eight o'clock. My Bible and notes are probably somewhere in Virginia Beach on the side of the road. The reminding ministry of the Holy Spirit, I could have used it at 5.45 this morning that my Bible was sitting on the top of my car. I'm praying that maybe it's somewhere to be found. It's raining outside, I think I saw. Uh, but the story of my father, my father tells the story that when he was in seminary, I could never complain. I commuted when I was in seminary. I would drive to Raleigh on Mondays. And so I would drive about three and a half hours to Raleigh. I would take class Tuesday, Wednesday, and I'd drive home. And I was not married at the time. And so I would go and I would take those classes for two days. And it was kind of a chaotic week. But anytime I tried to complain to my dad, he wouldn't even hear it. Because when he was in seminary, he was married with two kids and he would drive five hours. And so he would pastor for the weekend in Lancaster, South Carolina. Then on Sunday nights, I still remember this, we called it the Wonder Wagon. Wood grain on the side, we wondered if it was gonna get us there. That was why it was called the Wonder Wagon. <laughs> Wood grain on the side, backward seat, you know what I'm talking about? The old station wagons, right? They would lay the seats down, they would plug the black and white TV into the uh, smoke, uh, into the cigarette lighter deal, and we'd watch the Jefferson. I still remember this as a kid. My dad tells a story on one cold night, and he talks about it all the time. This is why giving is so important to him. This is why tithing is a subject that he drilled in my brother and I from early on, because he saw the Lord meet his needs over and over and over again. He said many Sunday nights, we'd only have $20 to get wife, two kids from Lancaster, South Carolina to Wake Forest, North Carolina, five and a half drivers, so gas and food. And one night he set his preaching Bible on the bumper to fill up with gas as he was looking at it. And he forgot about it. And he got to seminary, he tells the story, and it hit him that his preaching, he left his preaching. He went back there and guess what, guess what happened? It had frozen on the bumper of his car. <laughs> so let's pray for one of those testimonies next week. All right, here we go. <laughs> Look at what he says here. He deals with the most important thing, right? Remember, forget not. What should we not forget? Well, the most important thing, what he's done for us. When it comes to our sins, that's what Christmas is. Emmanuel, God, with us, and we're gonna see Jesus throughout this Psalm, see this. Look at what he says next in verse three, who forgives all of our iniquities, but now he speaks to the physical sense, but who also, who heals your diseases. That anytime there's healing, he is saying, let's attribute it to the great physician that God is over, not only just our spiritual lives, but our physical bodies. Now, some have looked at this and gone, well, is he re referring to physical diseases? Because he doesn't necessarily heal all physical diseases. And so some commentaries have said, no, what he's speaking of is the disease of the soul. Some have taken this passion and said, okay, so he forgives all of our iniquities, but then he doesn't just forgive us, he makes us new. He makes us righteous, right? He, he who was without sin became sin so that we might become now, there's the exchange, the righteousness of God in him. And so he deals with the disease of the soul, anger and hate and lust and jealousy and greed and guilt and contentment. It's not just a pardon for those sins, but it's a new life in him. David says, I praise you for who you are, that you've forgiven my iniquities, that you meet my needs physically. Look what he says in verse four, who redeemed your life from destruction. How many of us this morning could come on this stage and share testimony of how God found us in just the nick of time and looking back, your life was headed for destruction. 
and you see his grace, and you see his mercy, then in spite of you, in spite of me, I know I can. Where I see a path of walking and, and you see just the, the patience of the Lord, the care of the Lord, the gentle voice of the Lord, the moving of the Lord. David said, I praise you today. And I don't know what was surrounding his circumstances. I can almost picture him in a cave, maybe running from his life from Saul. I don't know. But in the darkness of wherever he was at, I'm gonna praise you for what today can't touch. I praise you, God, for who you are. My day can't touch that. I praise you, God, for what you've done. My day can't touch that. You've forgiven my sins. You've healed my diseases. You've redeemed my life from destruction. But look at this verse four. I love this. Who crowns you. See this picture. In spite of judgment, what we deserve of our sins, grace is he gives us what we don't deserve. He crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies. Let me tell you something, man. When you pause each day and just reflect upon these things, it changes the lens. It changes the lens of your life, of your circumstances, of your day, of your struggles. It changes the lens because now you're looking through the Lord and his truth to whatever it is, rather than looking through whatever it is to see God and his truth. If we can get in front of it like David and say, okay, soul, today, this is what we're going to do. We're gonna be intentional to praise God because he's sitting on his throne. He's in control, he's sovereign and I'm gonna praise him for these things. I praise him for his love and kindness, his tender mercies. Don't miss verse five, who satisfies. You see that word, fulfills. This means so much to me because I search for fulfillment in so many places. I knew truth, and I've shared this before, right? Age of seven, grew up in a preacher's home, came to faith in Christ at the age of seven. I believed that with all my heart, childlike faith. I knew enough to know I'm a sinner and I need to be saved and faith that Jesus did it for me. But you don't have a lot of life issues at seven, let's be real, right? And so as you grow and you begin to reconcile, right, the struggles of life of becoming a teenager and a young adult and walking with Jesus and Heath making decisions, but yet yielding to hopefully the Lordship and the, and the, and the Godship of the Lord in my life. So trying to navigate those things. David says, I praise you because you fulfilled me that what pleasure and comfort and entertainment could not do, you did. I mean, let's think about this. David, the king, right? I mean, he had everything at his disposal, right? And even Solomon had to learn this the hard way, right? Solomon comes to the end of his life and he was like, what? Vanity of vanities, and it's all vanities. It's all passing pleasure in the wind. David experienced those things. David didn't always you know, deny those pleasures. He bought into those pleasures and he saw the consequences of those things, of trying to find fulfillment outside of his relationship with the Lord and how many of us can identify with that, of trying to find that fulfillment. Lord, I believe in you, I don't wanna go to hell, but my life, I'll give you 95% of it. Cause 5%, man, I'm still trying to find it. And maybe this over here will do it. And I've shared this with you before, so many times the Lord, I think like an idol that we see in these stories, allows us to go down that path and then looks at us and says, how's it doing for you? Is it bringing that fulfillment that you thought it would? And I believe again, the gentle rebuke of the Lord, I created you for something more. I created you for a relationship, not for these things to fulfill you. Here is David who has tasted so many different things of the world and he comes to the conclusion that my praise is for God, for who he is, for what he's done, but the fact that he has brought fulfillment 
in my life. This is the same man in Psalm 51, if you remember, that prays for what? That God would restore the joy of his salvation. He had lost it. He had sought it in the things of the world and in sin, and it had been removed, and so that fulfillment was not there. But I believe, again, this is a picture of him in the latter years of his life saying, Lord, I've walked those paths. I praise you because you alone have satisfied my soul so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I love that picture. Verse six, the Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. What a promise for those who are oppressed. Verse seven, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. So now David is saying, not only do I praise you for who you are, I praise you that you've chose to reveal yourself. I praise you that you've revealed yourself through your works. I pray that you've revealed yourself through your word. How much more, right? If that's what we're praising him for, how much more should we on this side of Jesus praise him for the revelation of Christ, the redeemer, our savior. They're praising him for what is to come. We're on the other side of it. He says, I praise you that you've revealed yourself. And what do we celebrate at Christmas? Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, and we've seen those stories, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, prophet, priest, and king all in one, and is appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged, paid, for our sins, set down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has had, by inheritance obtained a much more excellent name than they. Man, you want to start to get really into the trenches of this. Look at verse 8. Reflect upon this in the morning. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. That word abounding means overflowing. This past week, we talked to our staff about abounding in Thanksgiving, and the picture is if it's, it's an overflow, that if someone bumps into you, you should overflow with Thanksgiving. Here, that same word in the Hebrew sense is being used where David says, mercy and grace overflows when it comes to the character of God. So I praise you that you're merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. He will not always strive or contend with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. Praise him for this, verse 10, for he has not dealt with us according to our sins, can I get an amen? Nor punished us according to our iniquities. Allow that to sink in. You've heard me say this before, and I'll say it again. You know, people have said, well, you know, God's not fair. Let me say something, I'm glad God's not fair. Because if God was fair, we'd all be in trouble. Because God in his holiness and perfection and righteousness, if he was fair, then we would get what we deserve. And what we deserve is not grace and mercy in heaven. We deserve judgment in hell. That's just the bottom line. If there is a God and he is perfect and righteous, then I'm a sinner. And I don't know that anybody in here would deny that. I, I shared last week when I meet with those kids and we talk about sin and I'll say to them, have you ever sinned before? And they'll say, yeah. And I'll say, has your mom and dad ever sinned? And they're quickest to say yes to that question than any other question is given to them. I'll say, have I ever sinned? And they'll kind of like, and if Amor or Tristan are in the room, they'll answer that real quick. But the point is it doesn't take you much maturity to come to that conclusion. If God is perfect and he does exist and he is holy and he is righteous, I'm guilty. Because you don't have to teach me to sin. It comes naturally. 
And so he says, I thank you for who you are, for what you've done, for your grace, for your mercy. Your anger is not forever. You've not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. That is the gospel. Verse 10 is a picture of the gospel. And then he tries to measure this. Notice this, I love it. A thousand years before the birth of Jesus, scientifically think about what we've discovered today versus 3,000 years ago. So there was no way for David to scientifically know some of the things that he's writing, but the Holy Spirit who inspired him did. Look at this. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. And the Hebrew language, biblical ancient text, when it speaks of the heavens, there's usually three different realms. There's the day sky, the night sky, and then the throne of God. So day sky, that's our earthly atmosphere. So you see the sun, you see the blue sky, that's the heavens, that's our earthly atmosphere. The night sky, the moon, the stars. Well, that's going even deeper, right again. We, don't, we haven't even scratched the surface of the vastness of that. And so it's saying again, the heavens. So not just our atmosphere, not just all of the galaxies in the hall of the universe, but even to the place of the throne room of God. For as the heavens, think about that. Think about the vastness of space. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is God's mercy towards me. Next time you see a star and you try to start reconciling how far is that star away, allow your mind to buy into that truth that, hey, God's mercy is the distance, the height of how far that place is away from me. Notice the next part. You can measure north and south. You could travel to the North Pole and you can start to make your way south once you pass the North Pole. But notice how he describes the next part. Verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Can I get an amen? Can I get an amen? Can I get an amen? East and west never connect. You can travel east and you will always be going, right? The way the earth is rounded, right? Again, 3,000 years ago. You will never connect the two. And so the point that he's making is what, right? Not, not only is your grace that high, but you have removed my sins to a place that they will never come back together. They will never be brought before me. That as far as the east is to the west, I stand before you as if I never sinned ever. It's Jesus. He speaks of the vertical of the horizontal. I mean, this is the prayer of Paul in Ephesians when he says, I pray that you would know the width, the length, the depth, the height, right? That you would know these things, the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Because if you begin to comprehend the height and the width and the depth, you will be filled with the fullness of God because you will be captivated and it will affect every single thing in your life. To our parents, hear this now, gentle statement in verse 13. He reflects upon God's mercy. He reflects upon his transgressions being removed. He reflects upon his heavenly father. Notice what he says, as a father pities his children. So the Lord pities those who fear him. Now to parents here who have little ones, right? There are some things that you just know you're not going to expect from that child because they're incapable at that time, whether physically or emotionally or mentally or, or whatever, right? You, you, you temper the way you parent, right? The way you love because you recognize where they are in their journey. This word here pities, it speaks of God's compassion to his children. That even in our lack of, of intelligence, right? That our lack of wisdom, there's compassion there. Like even when we're not patient and we wanna run to the next thing, there's compassion there. 
Like even when like a child, we don't get it and we want it now, now, now. But the wisdom and discernment of the parent knows that it's not best for them to get it now. It's best for them to get it later. Like a heavenly father who always operates in a perfect manner. He says, he looks upon me, not only as the one who's taken away my sins and his mercy and his grace, but he loves me as a father. To those this morning that just need an embrace, hear this verse that he invites you, the God of this universe that David has just proclaimed is sitting on his throne and has done all these things and he invites you, he welcomed you. Stop talking to yourself about your struggles and your pain and your guilt. He says, bring those things to me. Elijah, stop talking to yourself because when you're in that state and you're the one doing the stinking thinking, you're just going deeper and deeper and deeper. Hey, I got an idea, bring that to me. Crawl into my lap. Allow the presence and the embrace of a father. Have you ever felt the embrace of a father when you're scared? When you had doubt and fear? The embrace of, hey, I got you. I see you. I'm not going to let you fall. David says, I praise you for that. And look at what he says next in verse 14. Notice the reach of his mercy for he knows our frame, don't miss that. He remembers that we are dust. I believe in so many ways this speaks, right? I mean, this speaks to one of the greatest miracles of all time that God would become man. And here we are a thousand years before this, that David's making this reference, that he knows our frame. It's the same word used in Genesis 2, 7, when it speaks of the frailty of the dust of the earth, he formed our frame. But I believe this speaks to Jesus, that hey, there would be one who would come in our frame in the frailness of bones and skin, that he would be fully man, but he would be fully God. And God knows our weakness. He knows our frailty. He remembers that we are dust. Look at verse 15. As for man, his days are like grass, flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, it's gone, and its place remembers it no more. But here it is, verse 17. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting, to those who fear him and his righteousness, hear this, to children's children. What a promise, blessings of generations. Yes, an individual walk to our children, but there are blessings we can pass on to them. The faithfulness of generations to such as keep his commandment and to those who remember his commandments and do them. Let me lay in on this, verse 19, and we're gonna finish with these last couple of verses. I pray that as you enter into this Advent season, a couple of things. God would recenter us, realign us to not get caught up in everything else and miss the main thing. And to allow our minds to be recentered on who He is, what He's done for us. But don't miss this the victory that's already been won. Look at verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. It is a picture of Jesus, the full gospel, birth, life, death, resurrection. You see it here. When he talks about that he has seen our frame, that he knows our frame, I think that it speaks into Emmanuel, God with us, that God would become man. It speaks in his birth. That's what we're getting ready to celebrate over these next four weeks. When it says there, who forgives all of our iniquities, it speaks to his death. How are we forgiven? Without the shedding of blood, the Bible says, there can be no forgiveness of sin. 
So we see the picture of his birth. We see the picture of his death. Then verse 19 is the picture of the victory, of the resurrection. The Lord has established his throne in heaven. His kingdom rules over all. Because the Bible says this Jesus who came as a baby lived to be a man. He died and he rose again. And the Bible says he ascended to heaven. And today, today at this moment, he sits at the right hand of the father. King of kings, Lord of lords. So we're not fighting for victory today. We're praising him for the victory that's already been won. And the enemy will lie to you and tell you it's on you and it's not, never has been. It's on us to respond to it. It's on us for our lives to be yielded to it, but it's not on us to do it. It's already been done. And here is David a thousand years before it's been done saying, God, I praise you. You're the God of this universe, Yahweh, you're the Lord. I praise you because you've dealt with my greatest need, my sins, my iniquities. You've forgiven, them of all, forgiven me of all of them. You've taken care of me physically. How can I measure your mercy and your grace north to south, east to west? But I proclaim the victory that you are sitting upon your throne in heaven and your kingdom rules over all. Look at these last couple of verses, verse 20. He now cries out for others, right? Not just you, soul. Bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength and do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you hosts, not just the angels, but all the armies of the angels. You ministers of, you, of him who do his pleasure. Verse 22, bless the Lord, all his works. Psalm 19 says what? The heavens declare the glory of God. David said, I'm gonna praise you. The wind's gonna praise you. The sea's gonna praise you. Creation itself will praise you. And I'm not gonna let them have all the praise. I'm gonna praise you too. And so Lord, may you find me in my questions and my doubts and my fears, not in my feelings, not in my emotions, but with my eyes lifted high to the God of this universe who is in control, who has forgiven my sins, whose mercy never runs out and whose throne is from everlasting to everlasting. My day may change. That phone call may send me a different direction. These things can't be touched. So God, may you find me, not just Thanksgiving and Christmas, but saying to my soul every day, soul, we ain't gonna do nothing else before we spend some time praising. With every head bowed and every eye. I just think you see Jesus in every book of the Bible. And I think about this series that we're getting ready to move into, Son of David, Son of Man, Son of God. And how in all three of those, Christ came and fulfilled the role that the Father had called him to. And willingly he came. And yes, we celebrate a baby in Bethlehem in a manger, we celebrate that, but we celebrate who that baby became. Born of a virgin, he was not born into the seed of sin. But he was born into the seed of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, the curse was broken. Therefore, he could be a substitute for those who are in the curse. The curse is what every one of us is born into. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, for the wages of sin is death. That's the reality of it. 
But what we celebrate as we move into not just this season, but every day of the year, but the gift of God, but the gift of God, but the gift of God, can't earn it, can't win it, the gift of God is eternal life found in one place, Jesus Christ, his son. So what place does Christ hold in your life today? Is he something you hear about, maybe sing about? Or can you say he sits on the throne of your heart, that regardless of your circumstances, require you to be on your face daily? Praise you, God. Praise you. On this side of the greatest promise fulfilled, your son, I will wait patiently for all your promises to be true, and amen. I invite you to stand right where you are. We're gonna to go to the Lord in prayer. Each week as we do to my left, to your right, we're gonna have our spiritual response team. This altar is always open for prayer. The invitation never ends. And let me just say that it's not just a statement, it's true. I know it's easy for the service to end and kind of pack things up and we, ah, invitation never ends. At least it never did for me. The Holy Spirit is, is consistent and relentless. He doesn't force himself upon us, right? It requires surrender and submission. And so I wonder where today God may be calling you to faith. Without it, we can't know him, we can't please him. So as we enter into this season, may we enter into it with our minds fixed upon truly what it is that we celebrate. Join with me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. That you are Yahweh. You are the God of this universe, over all creation. We thank you, Lord, as we, as your people reflect upon what you've done for us. Lord, words can't even begin to measure how thankful we are for the way you love us, for the way you take care of us, for your grace and your mercy each day that fills our lives. And we know that all this points us to a person. And I pray that this morning, that through all of this, if there's someone here today who has never professed faith in this person, that they will hear all of this points to a person. It points to Jesus. This season points to Jesus. And what he came to do and he did it. And we thank you for that. We stand before you whole, blameless, covered by the blood of the lamb. And so Lord, I pray if there's one here today who's never professed faith, and Jesus alone, that you would do that work that only you can do. Lord, deepen us as we seek to follow you each day. May this not just be mere days upon the calendar, but an opportunity to praise you for what you've done for us personally as we reflect upon how good you are. Lord, go before us this week, prepare our hearts and minds as we seek to worship you with our lives, may you be praised. We pray it in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen. I'll be looking forward to sharing with you how my Bible was discovered this afternoon. We'll see how it goes.